our spring semester small groups here at Wallula Christian Church are set to start uh, the week of January 29th. So do take advantage of this opportunity to sign up. All those groups will be brand new starts at the at uh, the end of the month, and so now's a great chance for you to jump into a group that fits with your schedule and and uh, works out with a, a topic that you want to study a little bit. There's some sermon-based groups which will give you an opportunity to go back to the message from Sunday morning and, and dive a little deeper into the scripture that was used that day, and just a great opportunity to continue your uh, relationship with Jesus, to build some great friendships with with other folks in the area, and uh, to be able to pray and play together and serve together. And so uh, the very best opportunity to do those things are in our groups. So uh, go ahead and sign up, drop it in the Next Step station. You have a couple weeks to do that, but there's no better week than uh, this one to uh, get started and decide which group you want to uh, be a part of. We're going to play a game to uh, begin today, okay? Are you ready to play a game? Yeah, it doesn't really matter because we're going to, so, <clears throat> but uh, we're going to play a little game. You can, you can write the answers down on the back of your uh, bulletin, there are notes, space for notes there. You can, you can jot the answers down. We're going to give you the answer right after each question, so you can, you can kind of play along and, and keep track of your score because there's no prize at the end, and, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to have a little trivia game about what happened in 2016. Are you ready? Here's question number one. In what city were five police officers shot and killed in protest of the number of unarmed police shootings? You guys remember the city where that happened? Well, the answer is the city of Dallas, right? In Dallas, it was one of those places where that happened. Several police officers were shot. So we're starting off with just all the good things that happened in 2016. What about number two, the second question? Who won the World Series in 2016? Anybody still remember this, right? Of course. Uh, we got uh, some Cubs fans over here. Yeah, from Iowa. You poor people. But and Yeah, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2016. So that's uh, exciting for those folks. Well, number three, what U.S. Olympian lied about being robbed during the Rio Olympics? You remember the blonde hair, the goofy haircut, the goofier... Decisions, Ryan Lochte, yeah, was that guy who fibbed a little bit about what happened to him. Number four, on what popular French holiday was the tragic truck attack in Paris? Remember what holiday that was? I hear it out there, Bastille Day was the, the holiday when that occurred. All right, number five, this was a big deal in my house. I have no idea why, but... Number five, what popular Netflix show ended with a controversial final four words? You guys know this show? Some of you are lying because my family knows that my girls know this show, but it's Gilmore Girls, right? Have you ever hear of that? I've heard of it. I don't know why the four words, I don't know what the four words were. I probably should have checked. I don't know what they were. I don't know what they were! <laughs> I don't know why they were controversial. No spoiler alerts. I have no idea. All right, who got two of those right? Anybody get two questions right? Good job. Who got three of them right? Three, four? All five. 
All five. Looks like four. We have a tie, so we're going to the tiebreaker. So keep track. You have a chance to win. Each one of these answers is worth a thousand points. And again, it doesn't matter because, but here it is. Okay, here's the tiebreaker. Name as many superhero movies in the top 25 of the box office hits as you can from 2016. Make you, yeah, superheroes. Superheroes. You, you don't have any? You're not a superhero guy. All right, make your list. You got a list? Here they were. There was a Captain America flick, right? There was the X-Men flick. There was Deadpool. There was Suicide Squad. And there was Batman versus Superman, all right? So tally up your score, and if you won, congratulations. Uh, put that game together, and I... You know, I was troubled. I, I, I saw all the events and figuring out questions to ask, and I, I thought, man, I don't want the game just to be about the negative things that happened in the last year. But that would be a list that would be easy to compile, huh? There was certainly enough difficult stuff for maybe you as an individual to work through. Maybe your family had some hard times that you had to work through as a nation we had to work through some stuff as a world uh, man there was just enough difficulty there was enough hurt to go around in 2016 and maybe some of you are really feeling that still maybe some of you are still trying to figure out you know how do I how do I turn it around how do I rebound from some of the hurt I've experienced in 2016 now, for some of us, 2016 was a pretty good year. You know, we're looking back and we're thinking, I want God to continue to do the, the good things, to the good work that he was doing in me and through me in 2016. I want that to continue. And so we want to rebound and put the ball back up and keep moving in that direction. Uh, no matter uh, what experience we're sort of remembering and thinking about right now as we sit here, I want you to know that our God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world and that Jesus, you know, he put skin on. He became human and he experienced uh, the same kinds of hurts that we experience and he experienced the same kinds of joys that we experience. And so no matter how we think about the last year, Jesus understands. In fact, this series, we're going we're gonna to take a look at a time in Jesus' life when he was dealing with one of the most difficult uh, instances, one of the most difficult situations in his life. Jesus had this cousin, a guy that we know as John the Baptist, and John's job was to point people towards Messiah, towards Jesus. And John was good at his job. He pointed people towards Jesus. Now sometimes this required John to say things that were not popular. And sometimes he had to say things that were not popular about people with a tremendous amount of power. And this, this came about at one point when he talked about this illegal marriage. We'll talk more about it. But it was just a goofy situation. It was the, the ruler of the area who made a choice to, to steal his half-brother's wife. And it was just a mess. I mean, we don't have to go much further than that to understand the, the relational difficulties that this guy had orchestrated and and because he was a ruler because he was a guy in charge that played out in literally an international debacle I mean it was a bad deal and John just saw this bad deal and he said this is a bad deal you're ignoring God and you ought not do that 
And when John spoke out about that, when he, he pointed this ruler back to God, that landed John in jail. And it not only landed John in jail, it landed John in jeopardy of being executed. And eventually that's exactly what happened. Jesus was so close, he thought so much of John that this impacted him in a powerful way when, when word came that John had been executed. And Jesus wanted only one thing. He wanted to find some time to be alone with his father. He wanted to find some place where he could have a conversation with God. And so he tried to beat the crowd. You have to understand, by this time, word had gotten out about Jesus. Word had spread about how Jesus could, could heal the hurts in your life, how he had, he had literally healed people with all kinds of diseases, made blind folks see, made the, the lame walk. I mean, Jesus had been performing miracles, and people had heard about it. And so this crowd, this mass of people, realized that Jesus was on the move and they ran ahead of him to beat him to the spot where his boat would land. And so when Jesus, exhausted, worn down, tired, looking to refuel, to spend some time alone with God, saw this mass of people, Scripture says that he had compassion on them and he started to teach and he started to heal and he started to teach and preach some more. And the day wore on, and eventually his closest friends came to him and said, Jesus, we've got we've to send these folks home because they're going to be hungry, and they're going to get hangry, and it's going to be a bad deal. And Jesus said, well, you take care of it. And they said, what are you talking about? You know, to feed all these people would cost way more money than we earn in a year. We can't do that. And Jesus said, well, just see what you can find. They found a few, a little boy who had a Happy Meal sort of deal going on. You know, a couple fish, a few loaves of bread. Jesus took it, and they started to pass it out, and they fed over 5,000 people with a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. There was plenty left over, filled 12 baskets, and uh, everybody had the, their fill. And finally, Jesus was going to have a chance to talk to God. And so he went off by himself. He sent his disciples. He said, get in the boat and go right now. And he went away to pray, and the night wore on, and eventually Jesus has, uh, takes the opportunity to go find his friends. And so he starts out looking for his friends who are in a boat, right? And so he just starts walking across the water. His friends in the boat see this guy walking across water. They assume it must be a ghost. That's all they can figure. Scripture says they're scared. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. Peter. I love Peter because he looks at him and said, Jesus, if it's really you, let me come out to you. And Jesus said, come on out. And so Peter steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on water. Then he realizes, sort of like a cartoon guy, you know, the, the Bugs Bunny, the roadrunner, the wily coyote who runs over the cliff. And he looks around and realizes, hey, I shouldn't be doing this. And then he falls that's sort of what happens to Peter. He's walking on water and he looks around and he realizes there's wind and there's waves and I don't usually do this. And he sinks. And Jesus reaches down and rescues him. A tremendous, tremendous story. And we're going to take a look at the first part of that story this morning as we realize that we can rebound in 2017. But in order to rebound, we have to turn 
to Jesus. And I think that the first part of that story in Matthew chapter 14, the first 12 verses, is going to teach us three steps to allow us to turn to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to Matthew chapter 14. That's at the beginning of your New Testament, so it's kind of in the middle of the book there. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to take a look at the first 12 verses as we consider these three steps and how we can turn to Jesus at any time, at any time. Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. We're going to go ahead and break these up a little bit and work through these steps, and we'll read the scriptures as we go through them. Step number one is to be willing to take a risk for him. Uh, First five verses of chapter 14 say, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That's why uh, miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. Now at Christmas time, we talked about this guy by the name of King Herod. And we talked about how paranoid he was and how at the end of his life he was delusional and he really struggled to make sense of things and he made some really, really poor choices as a consequence of, of those uh, both mental and, and physical uh, hurts that he was experiencing at the time. And, and he was just a bad guy. And Now this Herod that we read about, First chapter of chapter 14 is one of his sons. It's a different guy. Matthew points this out to us when he describes him as a tetrarch. That's just one of four rulers. And so the kingdom that had once been Herod the Great had sort of been divided up. And there are four different uh, folks leading, ruling that kingdom. And this Herod, Herod Antipas, was one of those rulers. What we also learn in verse 1, though, of chapter 14 is that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, huh? Because Herod Antipas had his own sets of problems, and he was struggling himself. And uh, he was, uh, in verse 1 and 2, pretty delusional, pretty upset, and and trying to reach for any explanation he could about Jesus. Now, verses 1 and 2 are sort of like if if we were watching a television show or a movie, and the screen flashed up uh, three months ago, you know, that, that's sort of what happens after verse 1 and 2. It's a pretty common way for Jewish authors to explain things. And so they're giving us what's happening in the moment. And now we're going to flash back to see how we arrived there. And so Herod Antipas, is, he has questions about Jesus. He's confronted by the stories about Jesus. He has to make sense. He has to decide, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle? How will I respond to this Jesus guy and the the following verses, kind of three through five, are going to fill us in on, on what happens and, and how he comes to this point in his life. Now Herod, in verse three, had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias' brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So Herod had been making some real, uh, really bad decisions, and, and one of those decisions was that he stole his half-brother's wife, and that's Herodias that we read about here. That there's several problems there. That's enough of a problem, right? But a second big problem is that Herod Antipas had already been married, and uh, he was married to uh, a girl who happened to be the king of Arabia's daughter. 
And so when this happens, there's going to, there's going to be real trouble. And, and John has sort of been talking about how King Herod Antipas had made this mistake, and you shouldn't do this. If, if John the Baptist lived in America today, he'd live on a ranch by himself, surrounded by guns in Wyoming somewhere. You know, he was, he was sort of that guy. I mean, Scripture describes him as wearing animal skins and eating locusts and honey. He was, he was the guy who we'd listen to his podcast and we'd say, I'm not sure we should really be listening to this. That was John the Baptist. When he saw folks ignoring God, he was just unafraid to call them out, no matter who they were. And that's certainly the case with, with Herod Antipas. He was ignoring God and all of his laws and everything that might put him in the right direction, and John called him out. And this created huge trouble for John because of the relational mess that Herod had created. Uh, Herod had married his, his, brother, his half-brother's wife, and had, this caused the king of Arabia to become so angry that he sent an army to find Herod's army, and, and they defeated Herod's army uh, so thoroughly that Rome had to send reinforcements to kind of bail uh, Herod Antipas out. And so this relationship had messed up his family relations. It had messed up, you know, the view of the people even more than they had already liked Herod Antipas, and it had also put him on very thin ice with Rome. It had literally created an international incident, and John talking about this international incident and the, the cause of it as being this marriage gave Herod real heartburn. But maybe what gave Herod even more heartburn is that it frustrated his wife, and so Herod had John arrested. And verse 5 tells us that Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. So Herod maneuvers himself into the situation, and then he's confronted with how to deal with that situation. And so he decides to arrest John, and he wants to kill him. He wants to kill him because he hopes that that's, that comment that the the calling of attention to his his uh, poor choices would go away but he's also afraid because of how the people might react and the fact that he's already on thin ice with Rome if there's some kind of little uprising he's going to lose power and authority and so he's conflicted about how to deal with Jesus now you go back to verse one understanding kind of Herod's choices and and what eventually happens and to John and how he arrives at being confronted by Jesus and wondering who he is. And you go back to verse 1, and we realize that already in our story, we have two people that had to make a choice about how they would respond to Jesus. You have John who was willing to take a risk. I mean, he made, he made a decision to stand up for God no matter the results, no matter the consequences. He took that risk for Jesus. You have Herod who, who is just clinging to everything in this world that, that he can hold on to, not willing to step out a little bit, not willing to take any risk in dealing with Jesus. In fact, he blames himself and assumes that, that Jesus' miraculous power is that it has to be John raised from the dead. He's, the, he's dealing with it with superstition. He can't figure it out. You know, I guess when we, each one of us is, is confronted with this, this decision, we have to figure out how we will re respond to Jesus. And saying yes to Jesus, 
The invitation that he offers us to be in relationship with him, to be a part of his team, to be a part of his family, if we're really honest, it requires some risk. It requires some risk. Uh, it, it, it resembles a lot. If you want to rebound in 2017, you're probably going to have to take a risk. Have you ever watched little kids play basketball? Like eight, nine-year-old kids play basketball. When they go to rebound the ball, they just they sort of stand there and reach up. That's about all they do. You know, they're hoping the ball will come to them. Have you watched really good basketball players play? I mean, when they go to rebound the ball, I'm not going to demonstrate this <laughs> for everybody's safety. But when they go to rebound the ball, they leap up, you know, sometimes even above the rim to grab the ball. What we know about jumping is that it requires some risk, doesn't it? To leap up to grab the rebound requires risk. My daughters, yeah, they received a, a Christmas present this year, and it was a trampoline. So I was putting this trampoline together one day, and it was almost done. It took a long time, but it was almost done. And they came out to have that first jump on the trampoline. And my daughter, Lacey, she started to read all the warning labels on the trampoline. You know, it said, you don't, you don't have more uh, than one person on the trampoline at a time or everybody will die. You know, don't jump with any objects or everybody will die. You know, don't exceed this weight limit or everybody will die. And there's all these warnings on the trampoline. She said, Dad, we break all of these rules. I said, well, don't tell your mom. I don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, jumping requires some risk. Rebounding requires some risk. And to be honest, turning to Jesus, it requires a little risk. There's a risk to our reputation, perhaps. There's a risk to our resources, perhaps. There's a risk to our personal comfort, perhaps, when we turn to Jesus and enter that relationship. But every one of us has to make a decision. You know, how am I going to respond to Jesus? Will I respond like John and be all in? Will I respond and take a risk to begin that relationship? Or am I going to work to hold on to what I have? No matter how tenuous, no matter how difficult, no matter how unsteady it is. Just like Herod Antipas in the first five verses of chapter 14. Be willing to take a risk for him. Step number two is to know that there are consequences to ignoring him. Let's look at, at verses 6 through 11 here. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. And John beheaded her and, and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. All right, so verse 6 begins with Herod throwing this party, a birthday, uh, Herod's birthday uh, party. And uh, it was a real party, I guess. You know, my, my daughter Lacey, she's, she's going to be 15 this year, and, and uh, she's a middle child. She's just got a little bit of middle child syndrome, and so she accuses us of missing her 14th birthday. She'll say, we, you didn't we didn't have a party, Dad. I said, well, no, honey, remember that time when we, we ate pizza with your granddad? 
parents, and there was presents, and there was that chocolate chip cookie cake thing, and that, that was a party. I mean, I understand where she's coming from. I mean, she's my daughter, and I'm pretty lame, and so it's hard sometimes to tell that we're at a party. But that was it. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been invited to a party, and you're looking around, and you're a little unsure of whether or not this is really where you're supposed to be. Is this really a party? There was no doubt, I suppose we could say, on Herod's birthday as to the party that they were at. Several years ago, I, I was uh, working a fundraiser for one of my kids' stuff, and I, we were serving a security at the soccer stadium uh, for this country music concert that was there. And my job was to guard the good porta potties. Okay, if the good porta potties have guards, you're at a party. All right? Herod had guards for the good porta potties. It was a party, and it got a little, it got out of hand. I mean, we, we read very quickly here that, you know, Herod continues to sort of make decisions that you, you know, how does this guy make this choice? You know, how does he, how does he invite or how does he allow his, his stepdaughter to come out and, and dance in and, and, uh, the manner that she did? But it was a party, and she did, and uh, he decides based on that, Uh, Verse 7 says that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Verse 8 says that prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. So mother intervenes and says, This is what we want to have happen. And Herod hears this story, and we get to verse uh, 9, that he's distressed. He doesn't want to kill John the Baptist. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. You know, Herod comes to this point in time where he's sort of been walking down this road. And he probably knew early on, to be honest, that he shouldn't be walking down this road. And there were opportunities for him to say, I've got to get off this road. You know, you've been there before, at least I know I have. When I'm making choices and they just sort of keep piling on. And when you look back over those poor choices, you can see clearly in the kind of the rear view mirror where you had the opportunity to say, ah, no. You know, they, there's consequences for me ignoring what's going on here and I've got to get out of this path. I've got to step away. I've got to turn back. I've got to change direction. And here in verse 9, Herod had that opportunity. He was worried, he was concerned, he didn't want to do it. But then he thought, the risk to my reputation, the risk to, to who, uh, what people think of me and the power that I hold, and I made this promise in front of all these people. And so he just keeps going down that road and executes John. Now, we read those verses, and we're thinking about this second step, that ignoring God has consequences. And it seems like, through verse 11, that the only consequences being endured are by John the Baptist, the guy who paid attention to God, who spoke out for him, who took that risk for him. Now, the story's not over. And we, we, when we go back and we look at verse 1, we can see that it's not going to end well for Herod and that the only thing that, that could sustain them was a relationship 
with Jesus. In our elders' Bible study this last week, we talked about Daniel chapter 3. It's a story about three guys with weird names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you remember this from Sunday school or whatever. You know the story. You're familiar with it. The king at the time built a statue. He said, everybody's going to bow down and worship the statue when, we, when you hear music. Uh, some folks refused. Among them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the king heard about this, he, he got these three guys together and he said, listen, this is what you need to do. When we play music, you bow down and nothing bad will happen. If we play music and you don't worship this statue, we're throwing you in this fiery furnace. That's going to be bad. They said, look, it doesn't matter. We're not going to worship some other God. It doesn't matter what you do or the results. We believe that God will protect us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down to that statue. Now, what you remember the end of the story, of course, the king plays the music. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down. He gets some guards. They heat up the furnace. They throw them in. The guards fall down dead from the heat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking around with this fourth guy in the fiery furnace. God saves them from that. It's amazing, right? And God does this amazing stuff all the time. The thing that amazes me most, though, is that moment when they say, look, we believe that God will protect us, but even if he doesn't, what are they really saying? I think they're really saying that we know God will protect us. Now, it might not look like he does from your vantage point, but he's going to protect us and he's going to rescue us. Guys, that's the hope of a relationship with Jesus. That at the end of this journey, look, we all have one thing in common. And that as a follower of Jesus, we have a hope to, that, to spend eternity in his presence forever and ever. That we will be protected no matter the vantage point, no matter what others say. That he's rescuing us. That's what happens for John the Baptist. And, and Herod was left to deal with the consequences of ignoring God. Step number three is that we can always turn to him. Verse 12, at the end of our, our uh, scripture for today in chapter 14, says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. It's really interesting to me that, that John the Baptist, his one job was to point everyone towards Jesus. And yet here still, after a long time of saying, look, the Messiah's coming and this is him and everybody ought to be paying attention to him, that John still had this group of of folks following him. Maybe it was just John's personality. Maybe there was still work to do. Maybe God had something for them to do. I don't know. I just find it sort of weird that there's still this group of folks following John, that they're missing the bigger picture, it seems to be. You know, they're sort of missing Jesus. They've hung on to what they had for so long, and now John is gone. They're left without that direction, without that hope, without whatever. And so where do they go? Where do they turn? To Jesus. You know, they, they were without hope. They can still turn to Jesus. I don't know where 2016 left you. I don't know where your choices in 2016 left you. I don't know where your circumstances in 2016 has left you. But there is still this opportunity to turn to Jesus. No matter those choices, no matter those circumstances, no matter where we've been or what we've done or where we think we're going, we have the opportunity to turn to Jesus just like those followers of John you know, at that most distressing time in their lives, they sought the comfort that only Jesus can offer. 
Take a look at this video. Five single individuals functioning, functioning as one unit, team, team, team. You know, teams have always been important to me. I've been invited to play on teams, and I have not been invited to play on teams. I've, I've made teams, and I've been cut from teams, and most of the time, it's sort of the outcome has sort of gone the way that I expected it to go. But there's one team that I've been invited on, and I, I, I can't figure it out. The creator, sustainer, redeemer of the universe invites me he invites each one of us to play on his team to be a part of his family and how awesome is that today we can take advantage of that invitation we can turn to him we can say yes to jesus if you've ever said yes to him for the very first time we invite you to do that today talk to somebody on stage i'll be at the next step station stop and we'll talk about that choice and turning to him and and what's the next step for for you to take talk to somebody you see on stage whoever invited you this morning make day today the day that you say yes to his invitation to be a part of his team let's stand and worship him